Hello and welcome back to episode 39 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And for today's conversation, I am joined by Sarah Allen, CrossFit coach and aspiring CrossFit athlete. In this conversation, we delve into Sarah's entry into the fitness industry, especially around the process she went through in being more comfortable with her body image as a young female and how competitive sport played a big role in that alongside understanding energy balance and the effect of what goes in our body with respect to our performance. The competitive sport of choice for Sarah for the last number of years has been CrossFit and we talk about her goals and aspirations to compete at the very top level but importantly we talk about the weaknesses that Sarah has had to acknowledge and work on in order to reach the stages that she's got to so far and how she is going to go beyond that. During this conversation we discuss how she's implemented a fairly famous self-development source David Goggins which many listeners of the show will know I am a big fan of. Importantly, Sarah's been able to hold herself accountable and address the areas that she knows she needs to improve. And throughout this conversation, that is one of the big lessons that we can all take forward with respect to being a little bit self-aware and understanding what we need to work on and being comfortable to do the work and suck it up. Throughout this conversation, I'm sure you will find Sarah a very inspiring person as somebody who's performing at her peak and knows exactly what she wants and has built her life around that. And I certainly took a lot from the conversation and I hope you do too. Without any further ado, please do share the podcast if you're enjoying it on your social channels or with a friend over WhatsApp or iMessage. That's how we continue to grow this audience at Canberra Conversations. And let's dive right in. folks welcome back to another episode of Canberra Conversations and for today's conversation we are joined by Sarah Allen CrossFit coach aspiring CrossFit athlete and somebody I've been connected with for a long time based on our geographical location in Scotland so you're going to get a fairly similar nice Scottish accent today on the podcast Sarah welcome to the podcast posh Scottish There we go, Sarah. That's what the people have been asking for. They've been asked. I did a Q and A on Insta recently, and they said, "Have you ever considered doing audiobooks? And maybe there's a market for us to get involved in that area if, if CrossFit doesn't work out for you." <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. So, as I said, Sarah's a, a CrossFit coach, an aspiring CrossFit athlete at, at the highest possible level that she's working towards. But in your own words, Sarah, do you want to give us a bit of a background on on what you do day to day? Yeah, so I am a full-time CrossFit coach. I take uh, classes out of CrossFit Glasgow. And then in between that time, I'm an aspiring athlete. So I train maybe two or three times a day. And my life is pretty much resolved around CrossFit. Brilliant. And the gym that you work out of, I know recently you have attained, like the, is it the CCFT uh, qualification? What does, what does that mean for people who aren't familiar with it? So the, it's a CrossFit Level 3 credential. It means that I am certified. So I obtained that the other week. Um, it's basically a degree in CrossFit is all I can really like summarize it to be. And yeah, it's quite a big deal. There's a handful in Scotland, um, maybe 50 or 60 in the UK. So it's really the top 1% of CrossFit trainer population. So it's quite cool to have. And you've always been somebody that's valued that scientific approach, is that right? Because what was your degree in at, at Glasgow Uni? Yeah, so I was going down the science path for a career for a long time. Uh, my degree's in physiology and sports science, but originally I was in for neuroscience. So I thought that that was what I was going to do. <laughs> so I still have that little element in my brain where I like to be fairly geeky. I like to understand the why of certain things. Um, but thank God I didn't do neuroscience because that would have been hard. <laughs> of course. And I, I appreciate that when a coach has that level of background and that evidence-based um, approach because it means that everything they say to you, of course, it's grounded in fact and, and, and grounded in the kind of highest level of information that's available within that sector. So for you to be among 50 or 60 
people within the UK with that qualification gives you a lot of credentials both as a coach and supporting people but also probably for your own training in terms of understanding what you can put in place to be the best possible athlete oh yeah absolutely there were so many parts within the exam where I took the athlete brain and put it into practice and answered questions that way and it really makes you understand the why to CrossFit even though it is a sport that is a really small part of it and really it's exercise for everyone and we're looking for virtuous movement and all these things that can quite often get overlooked on a daily basis so to bring it back to the roots it's quite cool to go through that again of course in terms of your own entry to fitness it wasn't always crossfit from the start i think very few people start their fitness journey with crossfit do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about how you started just training in general yeah, so I played competitive badminton uh, in and around Scotland and that's kind of when my competitiveness started and I was pretty set on trying to become the best badminton player I could be. That didn't really happen. Uh, I had quite a bad skiing accident where I tore my ACL and then had the surgery for that. So I had to find something to do within that time and that was <laughs> bicep curls and tricep extensions at the Nuffield. <laughs> yeah, I know we spoke about this. So you trained at the, the Nuffield Virgin Active for Sport in Mogai, which is near to my house. I had a couple of years training there as well. And that kind of entry to lifting and sports through badminton, what did that look like as you transitioned away from badminton into a commercial gym environment or a commercial health club really is what a Nuffield is. I know it's got a, a pool, a sauna, a steam room and all that kind of stuff, but what were you up to in the gym when you started? I know you said bicep curls and tricep extensions, but what did it look like as a 18, 19 year old, whatever age you were? Um, yeah, so probably around the 17 year old age, yeah. I did a lot of running uh, to aid with my badminton. Um, I have no idea why I'm such a bad runner now, but I did run a lot back then. Um, and then when I had the knee surgery, obviously I couldn't play badminton, I couldn't run. So took to the weight section. <laughs> I used to look up like bodybuilding.com, do their little supersets. And over time I began to like deadlift and squat. And I think that's where the real thrill of it was for me because I was shifting big weights rather than like isolated muscle groups. So that was a big part for me when I did like a PB deadlift. I was like, oh, this is so exciting. This is way better than badminton. <laughs> yeah, that's funny how you get that different buzz that just hits different. And I know we've spoken away from the podcast before about that period where your purpose for a long time was being the best possible badminton athlete you could be. And when you lose that, there's a little bit of a, a period of reflection and maybe a loss of an identity in terms of I'm Sarah I know I'm studying at university but I want to be a peak performance athlete in badminton whereas when that changes you may be scrambling for who am I and I know that sounds really deep but I know you've said similar stuff to me before oh yeah absolutely and um, it was all kind of happening in the one year period where I went to university and I had got into neuroscience but I was not going to be keeping up with that. Um, I had lost badminton. Uh, I was at that age where people were going out a lot. And I enjoy going out, but it's not like my thing. I can't do it regularly. So I definitely experienced that. So I filled that gap with lots of exercise sessions and I felt like an athlete again. So I'd run in my lunch break and then I'd go to the gym at night. Even in crutches, it still just gave me something. Um, so yeah absolutely it was a loss of identity and that immediately stopped as soon as I walked into the CrossFit gym. Yes so you were doing a little bit of lifting at, at Nuffield you, you discovered squash, bench, deadlift and these were movements that were giving you a little bit of that buzz back that you got from competitive badminton. How did you come across CrossFit then and what was that journey like starting that because I mean I'm trying to do a bit more functional fitness now and I know it's a it's a bit of a minefield to navigate. So I have like two different stories that happened at the one time. There was a personal trainer in Nuffield who had seen me deadlift 
and he was a CrossFit coach elsewhere, I think up in Stirling. And at university, I've become friends with one of my closest friends now who works at CrossFit Glasgow with me. And he did lots of fancy stuff on Instagram. So I kind of went in both ways. I went to the Stirling one. I went to the one in Glasgow, which is obviously now like my gym. And yeah, I just walked in and it was madness. I'd never seen anything like it. Like people from all like different sizes, abilities, to all top, not all topped off, but a lot of tops off, like cool music, just really sweaty. Like they looked like they're working so hard and I had never seen anything like that before. And obviously there's no mirrors in a CrossFit gym. It's very grungy looking. And I saw people up in the rings and I just was immediately like, oh, this looks interesting. So I just kind of jumped straight in. There's a couple of pieces that we can pull from that, Sarah. And for me, the first of those is the difference in atmosphere and environment from a commercial health club. And I know you've spoken previous in other podcasts, shout out to, to Wallace and Dylan, who you've, who you've both been on as, as a guest for. You spoke about the fact that Nuffield, it was actually very friendly when you were there and you got on well. However, my memories of that gym as well are not very many people there are training very hard. And that's no disrespect to the 40, 50-year-old men that they want to go and do some bicep curls and then they're going to go sit in the jacuzzi. That's absolutely fine. But as a young person who, particularly given your personality type with that competitive nature, you were probably one of the few people that was working up a sweat and really pushing themselves to within a rep or two of, of a of, of real failure when it comes to your deadlifts and your squats so for you to go into the crossfit environment that probably was a lot more befitting of where your mindset lies compared to what well, well, from your badminton experience compared to i'm going to train a three by three on my on my deadlift today as the only person in the gym that's putting in any effort yeah but even then it was a huge wake-up call to myself like if i had trained that hard at badminton if I trained that harder than Nuffield, I'd be better as well. Like I had no idea there was those other levels that you can push to. And it's because of the environment within a CrossFit community that you can get to those levels of intensity. And I just had never witnessed that before, let alone like a group of people who I wouldn't, with again, no disrespect, I would never have assumed that these people in their 30s and 40s would be going that hard but they really do and they're really fit for it that's the incredible part about crossfit and the second thing that i picked up on from what you were saying there about walking into that crossfit gym was there was no mirrors and it was a bit more grungy it was a bit more take action and one of the key things that um i know you've spoken about before and that you're very big on putting that mesh out there is about maybe some of the things that were going on with your body image throughout your life as a, as, as, as a younger female. So do you want to maybe share a little bit around some of the things that were going on in your head throughout your different guises as the badminton athlete, the CrossFit athlete, the girl that was getting into the weight section for the first time? Yeah, so throughout all those periods, my physique changed massively. Like when I initially started badminton, I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12. So a little bit chubby from puppy fat, but that's okay. And then when I lost that, I started to look a lot more athletic, but not in a muscular way, just in a naturally got broad shoulders and long legs kind of way. And then once bouncing kind of fizzled out and I began lifting weights, I'd never lifted weights before. So obviously you get that initial muscle growth and and there was a lot of questions as to why I'd want to do that, but I felt great. And then to take that another step further, walking into the CrossFit gym, I just, you just don't see yourself in the mirror. And I know there's obviously mirrors other places in life, but you just kind of forget about it a lot more. I'm no longer like checking out my tricep as I'm doing a tricep extension. Obviously there's a time and a place for that, but not every day, that got exhausting. So to go in the gym, no one cares what you look like. No one's looking at you and you're just working hard. It was a huge weight off my shoulders. It felt so good to just do that and not care about what I looked like whilst I was doing it. Yeah, that evolution of performance-based focus rather than pure aesthetic is a, is a huge point. 
What was your, in terms of relationship with food and exercise at, at high school, like, because I know that's something that has evolved over the years when it comes to you focusing more on performance now? Yeah, so I've gone up and down for as long as I can remember. Uh, definitely, I'm an all or nothing kind of, well, I'm trying to not be an all or nothing kind of person, but by nature I am. So I would go through phases of not having a care in the world about my diet to longer phases of realizing I shouldn't eat. <laughs> there was like no in-between healthy balanced diet. And to be honest, I knew nothing about it. And there wasn't really any scope for me to learn that. Definitely should maybe be taught in school. But I went through a few different phases where I kind of lost a lot of weight, gained weight, lost a lot of weight, gained weight. Um, so to be honest, even now, sometimes I don't even know what I look like. Like it's really difficult for me to not have these other images in my head from maybe a year ago or maybe a few weeks ago because it can change that often. So it definitely helped my relationship with that. And I was all for eating so that I could do well in the gym and so that I could lift heavier. That was a, the biggest revolution for me. And then from there, it's evolved. And it's still a thing, but it's a way better controlled, manageable thing than it ever was beforehand. Yeah. I, one of the things that you and I have spoken about before is at school, there was that quest to be skinny and it wasn't skinny to be athletic and perform at badminton. And I know we joked about you would have nothing for lunch apart from an apple and you would wonder why I can't run around this court at five o'clock at night because I'm just, I'm just not feeling myself. And yeah. for you to go from that challenge and something that I'm sure a lot of males and females are listening to this can, can relate to in terms of not understanding energy balance and the fact that you're exercising more and expending more, you need to fuel yourself. There needs to be food coming in to drive yourself forward and put yourself in the best possible position. And for you to now do a sport that is primarily focused on what your output is with respect to the weights, the time, the quality of your execution, everything like that, that all forms the part of this sport where you're looking to compete at the highest level is sounds like a really good fit when it comes to what you're wanting from life, but also what's going on in those top three inches of your head. Yeah, absolutely. Even within my CrossFit time, I've gone through peaks and troughs, but maybe in the last few years or so, I've... I know what I need to get through my day. Uh, it might not look like someone else's day, but I know what I need at different points. I know that food quality is so important to recover. I've, otherwise, I immediately feel sore even just thinking about it. So I'm, I've learned the hard way, but I've definitely learned how to manage myself now and how to implement nutrition for health, but also nutrition for performance and how to make myself feel better and look the way I want to look whilst doing that. Yeah, I, th I think the key thing that you said there is that often with performance and with eating wholesome quality foods, the aesthetic quite often comes alongside it a lot easier than if we starve ourselves and have a really poor relationship with what goes in our mouth, but also like how we are training just purely for that. So hours on a stairmaster or hours running or running around the reservoir and Mogai and doing crunches like you, you you told me you'd done when you first started and that's 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 inevitably a phase that a lot of us go through but one mm. of the things that you said earlier on was wouldn't it be beneficial potentially for people to learn about energy balance sooner in life than probably by the time that you were maybe five six months into CrossFit yeah for sure like Sometimes I think back to 15-year-old Sarah when I wanted to be really good at badminton, but I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I was eating apple for lunch and then Rice Krispies at night because I was so hungry. Like I wish I had known. From a strength and conditioning perspective as well, I didn't really get that um, with badminton. It was all sports-specific. But people at the, like young girls and boys of that age I think they're more than capable of understanding 
energy balance and it's not going to be detrimental it could actually really help someone out yeah for you for you to eat appropriately you probably left gains and performance on the table when it came to your badminton and that's I know a bit of a regret for you because when you consider the focus and the energy that you now bring to CrossFit and spoiler alert for anyone listening, your ambition is to compete at the very highest level in terms of the CrossFit games and be a, be a, a world renowned athlete in that space. That that's interesting in terms of you've got that personality type that you have a, an element of regret that you didn't understand these principles earlier. And I can see that from, your coaching, I know that's not the, the leading light in your life, but from your coaching, that's what you're trying to impress upon clients when it comes to everyday performance as well, that food quality matters, feeling yourself matters, exercise is not punishment. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a benefit for us to include in our lives. Yeah, we should enjoy it and feel like we can do it. <laughs> like I would go to badminton sessions and be like, I'm so tired, I don't want to be here. But I never, ever put that down to food. But now on reflection, I'm like, no wonder. Like, that's insane. If I did that now, I would wouldn't even, I don't know, I'd be hangry as fuck for sure. <laughs> exactly. So we said that you'd lost your purpose with badminton. You started to find it again with CrossFit. What is that purpose now? And, and like, you can speak, as, I know you speak really passionately about this. So tell the listeners a wee bit about where your goals sit within CrossFit and wh- what kind of role your business plays within that as well. So I, I'm definitely trying to become the best athlete that I can become. Hopefully that looks like the full thing where I can one day compete at the games, whether that's five, six, seven years down the line, it's something that I'll definitely strive towards. But like we've spoken about before, it's that not using the potential and I don't want to let it slip. I'm not ready to let that slip. Um, I'm only 24. So I like to think I've got at least six or seven years in me to try and do this athlete thing. Yeah, the word potential that you used when we spoke before and you've just used there, that's something that drives me as well in terms, and it's not in the athletic space in terms of competing at a professional level or a a world-class level, but it's just potential in everyday life. Like I, it worries me that I don't achieve what my potential is. And when you've spoken about that before, it just really hit home with me in terms of, you know that you've got a lot to give. Previously, it was in badminton. Now it's in CrossFit. And you're thinking, what can I do to to manage that? So what role does your coaching business play within that? Because I know that that's your income at the moment. But where does it sit with regards to Sarah Allen, CrossFit athlete? So I was having to think about this the other day. And... If one was to slip, I think I would become out of balance. <laughs> so I think if I was to, and maybe one day I will, but it will never be for a long term. If I was to, I don't know, take her for a competition, I needed three months off, whatever, fine. But at this point in the game, if I was to lose some coaching, I don't think I'd quite feel like myself just yet. But that's because, like we've spoken about, I've made my life in a way where I'm not exhausting myself in any department. Like I can go to the gym in the morning and that's typically when I'll coach the morning classes. That's done. I come back home. The day essentially starts again because I'll have a small nap and then it's training time. And then the rest of the day is about training. And then 7 p.m. I'll quickly check over all my clients, see how they are. Not really a big deal, just sitting in the laptop maybe doing some calls and then that day has been chunked down to three different parts and every part of that day is deliberately like that so that I have the maximum energy um but yeah if something was to fall like if I didn't coach in the morning I think I'd, I don't know I'd probably not feel like myself that's something that I, I was I was really wondering what you would say with respect to that because I know that you've designed your life to meet these three chunks I suppose and that is face-to-face online uh, face sorry face-to-face classes athletic training and and being your best your best self and then the third part being your online business with regards to uh is it fuel focused nutrition yeah fuel focused nutrition and then 
Um, pay-free performance there we go we've got a lot of uh, nice branding names there and there's broken down into three segments your lifestyle is split in order to fulfill each of those at separate times and that's what's great for maybe other people to hear so from for me it might be my day split into two or three it's split into one my my work my nine five that pays me in the corporate insurance sector is split into training and then the third part will be things like social but it could be things like projects as well like the podcast like my instagram and Mm -hmm. time is allotted to that and i know people are sitting listening maybe thinking you two are quite robotic and you love routine and habits and you love doing the same stuff and structure but how many people in my opinion maybe yours as well sarah would benefit from chunking down and being more focused in certain areas to address what they really fucking care about yeah, I've been that person. Like, I'm not naturally like that. Like, my friends and family would laugh because I'm typically quite messy or scatterbrain-like. <laughs> not because I'm blonde, but <laughs> the last two years, I just had. I've just realised what I actually wanted. If this was still creeping up in my dreams or my dreams, I, yeah. it was still like a fire in my belly. I was like, I need to address this. I need to do it properly otherwise it won't get done so I'm very fortunate with my coaching job at CrossFit Glasgow and how flexible I am with that and they're on board with me to to be that athlete as an ambassador of their gym as well so it has fallen into place but also I could have made it a lot harder for myself so I'm glad with how things are set out and I'm happy to continue that until something else happens or until it becomes too much yeah can i ask in what ways you think you could make it harder for yourself do you believe um i used to coach a lot longer days i would say so i would do like it is still quite early but i would maybe finish at two o'clock rather than 10 (laughs) o'clock and that's huge like coaching is really quite intense in the term like you're performing for a group of people so that made a huge difference and um, picking and choosing things a lot more and um, social events and also you like utilizing the days where I don't have as much on like Saturday and Sunday it doesn't feel like work for me to sit and do clients at the weekend so I'll do that if it means that my training is optimized it's no, no big deal for me right now yeah at the stage of the our, our chat Sarah for me there's a number of things that have stood out and I'm sure that'll resonate with some of the listeners as well the first of those is you found different sports throughout your life and different things throughout your life which have addressed maybe some of the things we spoke about around relationship with food and exercise so the first of those was the competitive nature of badminton you then channeled that in the competitive nature of crossfit and then the second thing there is the the fact that you completely have your priorities aligned in terms of I'm going to live my life, although I'm maybe not a person that's always been structured and routined and habituated. I now am because for the last two years, I've been maximizing, and we're going to use that P word, potential, because I'm, yeah. I'm scared about not re- reaching that. One of the things that you and I both have spoken about before is with regards to being naturally gifted for CrossFit. And that's something in your opinion that you're not. Can you explain that a little bit to the people listening? I don't think I'm naturally gifted at anything so like and to say people are I understand that success typically happens from being talented but also hard working like that's the perfect equation but in terms of badminton like I was all right at some parts not not so good at other parts I couldn't just perform I had to overthink it or I thought I had to overthink it in terms of academics, I'm not always with it. So to get what I got to get into Glasgow Uni, I used to pull like 16 hour days in fifth year. So I can grind when I know I, I want the thing. So for CrossFit, I I mean, I don't know why I don't think why I think that, but I'm just that person that I feel I need to put in more work. I don't know if that's true or not, but I just feel like I need to overwork. (laughs) Yeah, that's maybe your personality type to an extent. But equally, I know that there's certain areas of CrossFit that 
become not easy to you, but more easy than others. So for example, the barbell work, you're extremely strong. Like your deadlift's an incredible uh, skill of yours in terms of that. And um, what co- what competition was it that you, you didn't really train for? Was it powerlifting? Uh, Olympic weightlifting, the British champs. Okay. But uh, yeah, so I, I've always naturally gone towards strength training and I got strong quite quickly, probably because I had never done it before. I love going heavy on stuff. I love like pushing the boundaries of that. And the things that naturally I don't feel I'm good at is gymnastics. And this doesn't, this sounds like an excuse, but I do have really long arms. Yeah. Um, and gymnasts typically don't. So I'm working with that and I'll put in a, more work probably to try and get over that hurdle. But yeah, I wasn't built for gymnastics and I wasn't built for running. I got big legs, but it almost makes it fun. It's a challenge. I have to do things I'm rubbish at all the time. And that's a bit of a mental game. Because of the nature of CrossFit, you have to be good across multiple disciplines. So like you said there, the British Olympic Weightlifting Championship, you pretty much didn't train for. You finished third in the UK within your class because you've got an incredibly strong deadlift. You've got a reasonable squat. We're not going to say a poor squat. I know you don't like to hear that. Um, And so you, you, you you did well in that space. But when it comes to the other elements of CrossFit, like some of the running, some of the gymnastics, you acknowledge that they're a weakness for you. And we spoke about you wanting to compete at the highest level, what happened? What was this kind of transformational journey that you had where you decided, I'm going to need to work on these if I ever want to reach these? I know you've gone through a bit of a process with that. Yeah, so the reality is in CrossFit, you just can't get away with having a weakness. It'll always show up. And I was starting to realize that my weakness of capacity work capacity and gymnastics shows up a lot more than a barbell so those who were not necessarily as strong like absolutely strong as me but had the capacity to do the work would beat me so it didn't mean anything to me to have these big numbers on a deadlift it's cool but it wasn't everything so (laughs) David Goggins became my best pal (laughs) and I listened to him all the time and it was the accountability mirror that stood out to me when he says just look in the mirror and be brutally honest with yourself so I did that and I kind of came to the conclusion all right like I've got some work to do in gymnastics and running I think that's interesting that you found a source that speaks to you and that's a big theme throughout the podcast speaking to people who are successful and wanting to be even more successful in the different areas that they care about and you found a personal development source, David Goggins, pretty hard-hitting, pretty straight to the point. And the accountability mirror sorry, is a, is a huge tool for people to stop, and I think he would probably say bullshitting themselves in terms of what they might achieve. What were some of the things that you said to yourself when you, when you looked in that mirror then, Sarah? I mean, they weren't very nice. I'm not really one to dance around the point. I was just like, you need to get leaner because you're carrying too much excess body fat for what you need to improve on. That was the case. Um, I need to specifically address these weaknesses and I'll, I'll pay my best friend to do it for me because I want his best attention so I can get my best self, which is exactly what I did. Um, and yeah, I just had to, in terms of workouts and CrossFit, I had to go to that place where I don't, naturally want to go to I don't think anyone wants to go there but I had to go there more and that would increase my work capacity so there was no more dilly-dally no more messing around it was I'm here to train hard because I need to do this to get what I want from this so my immediate mindset changed and I would I just got after a lot more just stop saying excuses like no you're going to go run 3k in 10 minutes no excuse. Yeah, there's there's measurable parts to this as well. So it's not just that flip of the switch to say, I need to work harder. There's measurable parts to it as well. But equally, this is something that should resonate with absolutely everyone listening. When it comes to if you are very passionate or serious about a particular goal, there needs to come a point where you do embrace the stuff that you're not good at and you have to accept that it's going to take a lot of work to improve on that. So for example, for the gymnastics, you know that there was... Eight, there was 
additional weight that you were carrying that meant that your gymnastic performance was never going to be as good as the top level competitors unless you accepted that you had to remove some of that weight you had to run probably more often and harder in mm-hmm. order to get your uh, 3k in 10 minutes or or, 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 or whatever the <laughs> what was the time <laughs> what, 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 what was the time i have no idea about running so i'm just guessing here um well it's not 10 minutes that's for sure <laughs> I don't know. I think a five k, like a good five k for for a guy is like twenty twenty minutes or something like that. I think so. I don't I don't know what three k is, um, but that's that's where you have to accept that there's things going on that you need to kind of dive right into. And you you did that with both your running and your gymnastics when it came to those being highlighted areas of of weakness. What did that process look like, and where did it lead to? Um, it began with quite a lot of rubbish training sessions, to be honest. Like, it's not as if you are having a bunch of fun working weaknesses. It makes you feel rubbish about yourself in the moment. But then six months down the line where you, like, when I got my first ring muscle up, I think it was like two weeks later, I got six. And that's just unheard of, but it's just because... I put in the basic work and once I got everything, I got it all at once. So it was a really fulfilling process for me, but it did take six months or so of suck, basically. Um, another thing I did was I always thought, act like the person you want to be. So like my favorite CrossFit athletes are like Katrin Davis' daughter, Brooke Wells. I started saying to myself I wouldn't say this out loud like oh what would they be doing how would they approach this what would an what would a professional athlete say to this what how would they feel and that actually really helped and whenever I'm struggling I go back to that because it really does kind of cut a lot of rubbish out and it just allows you to have that focus when you're training I love both of those points the first of those with respect to accepting that the sessions that you do initially they feel awkward they feel unfulfilling you feel like you've not achieved mm-hmm. but and again the listeners are going to laugh that compounding interest of six months of making yourself really fucking uncomfortable regularly paid off and then mm-hmm. like you say you did one ring muscle up one week two weeks later you've knocked out six people who only saw you for those two weeks will think wow this girl's a freak like how has she done that she's so lucky she she must be so good at this but you're looking back and you're saying honestly four months ago i was borderline leaving the gym crying because i just couldn't i could i didn't feel like i was achieving anything i was i was mortified but you're only seeing this overnight or two week success that everyone wants and everyone desires but the, the sessions beforehand compounded over time the second point and that that lesson in particular, I learned from Atomic Habits when, uh, by James Clear, which uh, is one of my favorite books, as many listeners will know. That speaks to me massively because you, you looked at these superstars, these idols of yours who you want to compete with in the future, and you're thinking, what would they be doing in this training session? Would they be getting their nine hours sleep? Would they be eating this particular meal? Or would they, would they do this session that feels absolutely horrible and I feel like I'm not progressing? And the answer, more often than not, would probably be yes, and that forced you to do it. Where did you where did you learn that particular lesson? Was it just something you stumbled across online, or you just tried to introduce? Uh, no, it was Atomic Habits. Oh, there we go. I hope you use my <laughs> I hope you use my affiliate link because James Clear needs to come on this podcast. But that's that's a fantastic mindset to have. And how many people listening to this could put it into their area? So appreciate hardly anyone listening to this is going to want to compete in the CrossFit Games, but most of us will probably want to be a little bit more muscular, be a little bit leaner, be a little bit more successful in our job. Um, have better relationships, have um, a little bit extra pocket money to spend on holidays or, um, or, or houses or cars, whatever it is that floats your boat. Think about what somebody in the position you want to be in would do in your situation. What, what activities, tasks, what focus would they bring to it? And that ultimately will add up. And I think you're a, a bit of a testament to that, Sarah, in terms of what you've, what you've implemented. So you went through some of these processes and you started to get to the stage where you were able to compete at a similar level to where you, where you ultimately want to go. So the kind of level down, what's that for the listeners and what does it look like? Um, so the format of 
CrossFit has changed a lot in the last few years. It used to be you competed in the Worldwide Open, which is online in your own gym. And then in different regions of the, the world, the top whatever number would then go to the regionals. And then the top five of the regionals would then go to the games. That changed. And it was then the Open and then a bunch of sanctionals around the world. I believe there was like 20 sanctionals or something. And you could either qualify through the Open, qualify as a national champion, or the winner of the sanctional will go to the games. So sanctional is essentially like a regional and I'd always wanted to get to regionals as the first kind of stepping stone. So we qualified for sanctionals. Uh, I was on two different CrossFit Glasgow teams and we qualified for strength and depth, which is a big one in London, which Matt Fraser, Rich Boning, all the top guys were there because it is such a well-run competition. And that was just madness. Like at that competition, I did not feel, feel like I belonged at all. It was really cool to be there. But the whole time I was just like, I'm not at this level. Even though we were fine, like we got 10th place finishes and stuff. I have no idea why we thought like that. But then two weeks later, I competed in uh, the Norwegian sanctional and I did feel like I was supposed to be there. And I was like, oh, okay, I think I am at this mid to lower level of sanctional. So no doubt I'll be hanging around there and slowly creep up towards the top over the next few years. But I do feel like I am at that point where I can compete at a sanctional. Yeah, that's the first, I suppose it's, it takes a long time to reach that rung on the ladder, but it's kind of that first step to being at the games, isn't it? And and being a competitor. And there's kind of tears to that, like you say, in terms of at the moment, there was that initial almost imposter syndrome, like we maybe shouldn't be competing this level to actually getting respectable finishes within it. And then over the next year, two years, three years, however long it takes, you want to work your way up that leaderboard from the kind of 10th place finishes in some of the events to being one of the top teams and, and being a team that is likely to qualify for the event beyond that. And it's nice to see that roadmap in front of you. Do you think that gave you a little bit of an extra boost when it comes to doing the, the horrible sessions that you don't like? Yeah, definitely. Before we qualified for the sanctions and doing the qualifiers for them, it was a huge boost to have that elite sanctional athlete as part of who I am that was a huge motivating factor for me so when I got it like I did really enjoy London it was just so scary basically it was terrifying for me and I wish I had enjoyed it more but two weeks later I got to fly out to Norway and do it all again so I immediately changed my mindset within those two weeks saying I don't want to feel ashamed of London I want to enjoy this and that will make me do better and it did I was so much more relaxed. Um, there's a lot of athletes now who don't even make the games, but they linger around the sanctional level and they're really well known. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't ever want to achieve the games, but if I didn't and I was able to compete at sanctional level for a long period of time, I think I'd be equally satisfied with that as in like a seven, eight year competitor. That would still be an achievement with regards to the level that you want to compete at and that would still be enough to tick that box and that that inner that inner voice inside Sarah that says I want to be a competitive athlete and I know we've talked about potential and whatnot equally we don't know what our potential is your potential might be to win the win the CrossFit Games it might be to compete for five or six years at sanctions it might be to I don't know whatever the whatever the, the record might be in CrossFit for a particular event you might have that in the locker but you don't know that unless you do everything in your power to get there. I guess David Goggins would be telling you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But the other side of it is getting too caught up on a specific number of a specific year, whatever. I don't think that's good or productive for anyone's sake. Um, but then just enjoying the process and working your day-to-day -day and getting that as good as it can possibly be and then just letting life happen and see where it takes you. Again, you say that in such a relaxed way, but if we think about that from a 
a kind of social media inspirational guru vibe. You've got this massive outcome-based goal to compete at the best possible level that you, Sarah Allen, as an athlete are capable of and your potential is. But behind it is all these different processes and it is the two to three sessions a day. It is the eight hours, nine hours sleep a night. Do you want to share with the listeners what some of the other processes are that sit on your list as maybe non-negotiables that need to happen every week that mean that this, this massive, frightening, potentially intimidating goal in the distance will come into reach at some stage? Yeah, so I've realised over lockdown period how important sleep was. So I'm striving for more than eight if I can. On the early days when I wake up at half four in the morning, I'll try and get an hour, maybe even two hours nap just to get the sleep. Um, that's a huge thing for me. Absolutely eating enough is important. Um, for me, I'm quite rigid in how much I eat and I try and keep it to a certain level. So hitting that every day works really well for me. Recovery, rehab, prehab, like injury prevention, all those things. And yeah, the the daily grind is hurting, like getting uncomfortable and being okay with getting uncomfortable when you don't want to. <laughs> it's funny that that last one that you mentioned there in terms of like accepting uncomfortability or accepting some challenging situations forms part of the process because a lot of people would maybe leave it there in terms of my non-negotiables are number of hours sleep, number of training sessions per week calorie goal for the day, quality nutrition, that kind of stuff. But within yours is part of my process is to be a little bit uncomfortable. Does that come mostly from the self-development sources like Goggins, like Atomic Habits, or does that come from somewhere else? It comes largely from the CrossFit methodology of intensity yields results. So as a competitive CrossFit athlete, the day and the training day doesn't look like traditional CrossFit. There's a lot of elements in there, but the workout of the day, like you got to go for it. That intensity is what makes people healthier. It's what elicts neuroendocrine responses. It's the part of fitness that, fair enough, not every day you can push it, but for that day you have to push it as hard as you can. And yeah, that's that's something that is it's challenging and it's. Even if your sleep's right, your food's right, everything's bang on, it doesn't mean you're in the mood to do it. <laughs> like you, that very rarely happens, I would say, where everything is perfect. So you're just going to do it in whatever circumstance you're in for that day. Of course, you've got those boxes that you tick as a minimum to put yourself in the best possible position to do it. But equally, the need to, there needs to be that switch inside your head that you need to flick. One of the last things I wanted to ask you, Sarah, is we've, 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 we've name-dropped a few self-development sources that have directly impacted you from a, a lifestyle perspective and from a perspective of performance. Is there anything else that you, that you tune into that you think has helped you with respect to how you see yourself, how you behave? I think a, a lot of these are what has already been brought up in your podcast previously, but Chasing Excellence by Ben Bergeron, not even just his book, but I listen to his um, podcast. He does a weekly podcast and Catch on David's Daughter's books written in a very similar way where every so often I'll just refresh myself on some of their theories and it kind of gives me a little boost. David Goggins is always in my back pocket if I need it. <laughs> and atomic habits so the ones that everyone uses but the ones that work really well i think importantly you can see that regards to the fact that you've read these you've implemented them and there's nothing that rivals me up more than when somebody's like oh what self-development book or podcast should i listen to and maybe they take it away and they use it but then you never see them implement any aspects of it whereas you can directly see that you've taken not a massive number of sources. You've not necessarily got a scattergun approach. You've gone honed in on three, four, five sources. You rinse and repeat. You've actually listened to Goggins, what, two or three times now? So it's, uh, it's, it's certainly been drummed in. And rather than being like, oh, bragging about reading 15, 20 books on self-development, you've been like, well, actually, I read Atomic Habits and 
one of the driving forces behind me is that I think about what a successful person in my field would do. and I do it. And that's enough to justify the, the spend on that book from Amazon. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of the analogies in each of these books were related to that's literally been enough for me to be like, oh, I want to do this right now. <laughs> like, I need to implement this right now because he's talking about my situation or whatever it is. Um, and I'm not a big reader, to be honest. And I got what I needed from those books. I reused them. There's probably a lot more from Atomic Habits that I could use as well. And um, that's one of the first things that I picked up on. So, yeah, I mean, I'm open to doing more, but those ones have been really helpful just because I related to them almost immediately. I think that's the important part. You related to them, you've implemented them. It's not necessarily a game of, oh, I can, I can read as many as, as, as many as anyone else in the world. But if you implement none of them, then it's, 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 all, it's all for nothing. I think we've covered a huge amount within our, our short chats area. We've spoken about your entry to exercise and training, the different relationships that you've had with food and training over the years and how with your personality type, like many of us that listen to podcasts on self-development and things like <laughs> that, we'll, we'll probably fall into that space where we do sometimes need a competitive nature to what we do many females in particular listening will have resonated with the fact that you're preaching a message of eat for performance and don't always worry about what's going on in the mirror because quite often that'll look after itself if you eat well while training hard we've also spoken about your aspirations for crossfit your acknowledgement of weaknesses and how you've addressed that with a pretty bulletproof mindset despite the fact that you'll probably come up against harder days it's compounded over over the period of time and end up in a really good position the last thing left to ask you is where's the best place for people to connect with you online uh instagram at sarah allen but with two a's and sarah it will be in the show notes. I know you made this Instagram page when you were young and didn't think about branding. So uh, it's good. Sarah Allen is an extremely common name as well. So <laughs> it's already taken. You would need to you would need to pay somebody pay somebody to buy the buy the handle, and that would not have been worth it until until you get the Noku sponsorship, which I know we're we're working on. <laughs> James Dollar, if you're listening, help us out. Last. <laughs> <laughs> last thing to say before we before we log off please take a screenshot of this pop it in your instagram story if there's somebody out there that you think would resonate and benefit from this conversation that is a performance athlete or somebody that needs to maybe accept some of the weaknesses they have and think about how they address those then please share it with them too and i'll be back to speak to you all again very very soon